The Incomparable is sponsored by Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus lets you binge on thousands of hit shows anytime, anywhere on your TV, PC, smartphone, or tablet. Support The Incomparable and get an extended free trial of Hulu Plus when you go to HuluPlus.com slash Snell. That's HuluPlus.com slash Snell. Or go to our show page for this episode at 5x5.tv slash Incomparable slash 158 and click on the Hulu Plus link. The Incomparable, number 158. September 2013. I call this meeting of the Incomparable Film Festival to order. Gentlemen, it has come to my attention that it's time for us to assemble a new film festival. Each of you will be assigned a day. I will get the good day. I will give the crappy days to you. (laughs) And each of you will be able to select some movies. Now, here are the rules. Um, We can't uh, use any of the movies that were in the film festival last year as detailed in three episodes of The Incomparable last year. Mostly, it's a legal thing. The people whose movies we showed said um, they never wanted to be a part of our film festival again. Never again. (laughs) So we have to move on. And uh, because I know that so many of you want to um, pick the same movies, I've decided that, as with everything in American society, this would be improved if we did it as a draft. Because fantasy football is all the rage, and the last time I went to Whole Foods, I'm pretty sure I got in a draft for pears. I'm not really sure how that happened. So I, I would like to thank all of you for volunteering to program a day of the Incomparable Film Festival. And now, as is our strange recurring theme when we meet to plan the film festival, I'm going to have you sound off as if we were recording this for a podcast. David Lore, are you present? Present. All right, good. Are you ready? Do you have a list? I have a list. All right. Monty Ashley, are you with us? I am here for the honor of cinema. Okay, excellent. True fan of the theater. Steve Lutz, are you with us? Hey, Jason, I'm totally here. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Andy Anatko, are you present? I'm here to help bury the radio drama industry. Excellent. That's right. <laughs> These mo- motion pictures are the bee's knees, man. Dan Morin, are you present and accounted for? I am present. I don't know but accounted for. I never really did well. And John Syracuse, I hope you're here, too. Something tells me I'm not going to be able to get through all eight movies I picked. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Maybe if we just keep it snappy. All right, we'll get started. I, I will also remind those who might be listening to the transcript of this uh, Incomparable Film Festival meeting. Uh, please reference episode 79, 80, and 81 to hear the results of our previous film festival. Uh, well, let's not speak about the incident that happened on Steve's night when a pig was slaughtered in the theater. We don't want to talk about it. That was awesome. <laughs> These get transcribed? <laughs> Later, yes, for, for the archives, for the minutes. Huh. Well, they, they use the same company that used to do the Oprah transcripts, or if you send a Sazy, they'll give you the transcript. <laughs> All right, cool. so, so again, the rules are uh, none of the 35 films we picked last time, and, uh, we, and hopefully this won't take eight hours like it did last time. So uh, to kick us off, uh, Andy and Ako, you get to go first. Please make your selection. Well, it was a tough one because uh, there are only 71 movies that have been made. So now that we've actually picked more than like a little bit less than half of them. so uh, But I was surprised that one, one of my really favorites had not been picked yet. It is what I consider to be the best movie about a tech geek, about a nerd ever made. It was uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, released in 1974. It's called The Conversation. And this is the st- – now – I'm not. I'm not saying that the stereotype of nerds who 
are really, really obsessed with technical proficiency, but not quite so comfortable socializing. I'm not saying that's a pervasive thing, but we all know enough people out there that we could probably come up with one or two examples of this sort of person. And Gene Hackman, for God's sakes, Gene Hackman, he is always good, plays Harry Call, who is an audio engineer who uh, is a used to work for a larger agency, now is a private contractor. Uh, and at the opening of this movie, wonderful shot, shot right in the middle of San Francisco. We see him at his job, where he is just an amazing engineer. He has been hired to try to record a conversation between two people who are aware that people are going to be trying to record their conversation and are trying to create a situation which you cannot possibly get a recording of what, what what's going on and so this this incredibly dramatic uh uh choreography of hidden microphones and people on the ground and radio microphones he manages to record this conversation but before he delivers it he's in his little lab and he's trying to clean it up and figure out what people are actually saying because he has to do all that sort of stuff and in the meantime he starts to kind of wonder why Why was I hired to record this conversation? I bet if I keep trying to figure out, if I try to get more of this conversation in the clear, and I'll understand exactly what's going on. Meanwhile, he's you get to see 1974 tech world where it's San, there's lots of street shots of San Francisco. You get to see a, a, a electronics trade show. Uh, you get to see this already sort of paranoid guy who does not like interacting with people finding lots of reasons why he doesn't like interacting with people and how he just doesn't know how to get on with society. Uh, and on top of everything else, you got John Cazale in a, in a supporting role, uh, Cindy Williams. You have Harrison Ford in a supporting role, for heaven's sake. Uh, so he's this is uh, this was just right before Star Wars. But uh, So without turning this into a 15-minute screen on this one film – it's a really it's it's not uh, he, he it's not a case of this one this man being caught in a net of intrigue and it's, it turns into a deadly foot chase of cat and mouse stuff it really is what do you do when you just have no interest or ability to associate with the rest of humanity and now you're sort of forced into that sort of role where you're paranoid by nature normally that's all in your head but now you're starting to suspect you have reasons to be paranoid uh, and also he has a really cool lab. He owns an entire warehouse, but his entire workshop is a tiny wire caged off area with racks and racks of awesome analog equipment. So uh, top to bottom, it's just such a fun show. And also it really is Gene Hackman doing one of those perfect Gene Hackman sort of roles where he gets to be wrinkled and nervous and frumpy, uh, and yet absolutely in command of what he imagines to be the world he lives in. And Francis Ford Coppola returns to our film festival after his uh, little uh, mobster movies last time, so that's nice too. Yes, this was la last last bit of trivia about this, and this this is this is something I, I think that we could do an entire I, I could do an entire film festival. I have a real love of the uh, once a every director, every like you know mega megalo uh, director like uh, like Coppola, they have that screenplay that they wrote before they hit it big and they couldn't get any interest in. And as soon as he becomes the director of The Godfather, the most successful movie franchise the 70s had ever seen, and now he has his screw you contract saying, that, oh yeah, well now I'm going to make you make this movie that you never said could ever get made. And so he takes the script out of his back pocket, the conversation 
which he and I, I do think it's it's credibly his best movie. I don't think I don't think that Apocalypse Now or the Godfather movies are better than this. It's just wonderful, wonderful flick. Sounds good. That movie is one of five movies that John Cazale appears in, and they all got nominated for Best Picture. What a career! <laughs> yeah, no, ex- exactly. He 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 died at age forty, I think. Was it? And you, oh god, he he just would have been one of those guys that he 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 was on the Gene Hackman track, you know, where you figure that he would have been seventy eight years old and coming out with a great a role in a great movie every two years for the rest of his life. All right, uh, David Lore, you're up. Well, you know, I was looking at my DVD shelves and thinking, you know, all these movies I love. And there's one that, you know, it's maybe not the greatest film in the world, but it would be the first one I would take to a desert island with a DVD player. Um, And that's Hudson. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Philip Michaels just shot his computer. Yeah. Um, No, it's Wonder Boys. Uh, The Michael Douglas... um, Toby Mag- uh, yeah, Toby Maguire, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Uh, it's filmed by um, what's his name? Oh no, um, Curtis Hanson. Thank you, Curtis Hanson. I could see him, mm-hmm. and you know, it's this shaggy dog, nineteen seventies kind of movie, actually. And and he said that he intentionally made a seventies style movie, um, based on a novel by Michael Chabon. Excellent novel. I prefer the movie. It's just fun. It's intelligent. And it, you know, it, it really gets inside writing. And the weird thing is, no matter how many times I see it, no matter what time of day it is, as soon as it's done, I just want to get up and write for hours and hours because suddenly it's just like, oh yeah, that's why I do this. Um, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's kind of a road trip where these three guys wind up together with Michael Douglas as this writer who has, he, he wrote a brilliant novel, brilliant first novel, and everybody's been waiting for his follow-up for years and years, and everyone figures he's had writer's block all this time. And he said, no, no, I'm on page 2200, and I'm still going. And so he, he travels through the movie clutching this gigantic manuscript by the end of it. And, and Toby Maguire is the student of his who, who is that next generation of, of Wonder Boy. He's, he's a fantastic writer. And Robert Downey Jr. is the agent who handles Michael Douglas's writing and is kind of looking at this guy and going, hey, I kind of like him. And it's, just, it's wonderful how all these different stories intertwine and, and just fully dimensional characters. I mean, even, even the smallest bit character is just a fully dimensional person. It's, it's just a wonderful movie. And, um, one, my, probably my favorite thing about it, when he was trying to put together the music, he was picking very, you know, early to mid seventies music. And he, he wrote to Bob Dylan and he said, I would really like to use some of your songs. And Dylan said, well, send me the film. I'll take a look at it. Yeah, that that's I'm, better. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. My, my, my headphones cut out. What did he say again? <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> I said it a play. I'm I fell down a well. But there was a transcript. So, so. I'm Bob Dylan, and I like <laughs> Yes, Bill, he does often refer to himself by name to explain who yes. he is, too. That's oh, right. yes. Yeah. Um. So, so you know, he sends off the movie, 
and uh, doesn't hear from Dylan and doesn't hear from Dylan. And he thinks, ah, damn it, I can't use any of his songs. And he wakes up one morning, goes to his mailbox, and there is this package. And there's Bob Dylan in his mailbox. (laughs) In his mailbox. Uh, It was a package of three brand new original songs written just for the movie. That's how much Dylan identified with the characters in the story. And it was like, oh, wow. And then Dylan won an Oscar for the for the song. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a lovely film. My favorite, I have a favorite line from that movie. It's the, uh, now that is a big trunk. It holds a tuba, a suitcase, a dead dog, and a garment bag almost perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> to almost which Michael perfectly. Douglas' the character says, that's just what they used to say in the ads. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Wonder Boys. Uh... You you say better than the novel. Fair enough. I haven't actually read that novel, but I, I love Michael Chabon, so um It's well it's it's adapted by the same writer who did six of the seven Harry no, seven of the eight Harry Potter films. Um and the only Harry Potter film that has a bad script is the one he didn't do. Um and he streamlines the the storyline in the book and just sort of cuts out what I mean it I mean it's it works in a novel. It would never work in a film. And so he just sort of chops off this one whole subplot and keeps it going. And you go, yeah, All right. that's how you do it. Cool. Uh, we move on, and it's Steve Letts' turn. Oh, it's me. It's you. All right. I'm going uh, to stand back and lay some strategy on you, man. <laughs> <laughs> if this is the Masters of the Universe oh, movie, man. I'm going to be really upset. Because <laughs> oh. that wasn't even originally a Masters of the Universe screenplay, right? I mean, right? come on. It was the adaptation was I think pretty superb, but uh, yeah, this time out I, I've decided I'm gonna um, I'm gonna forego the highbrow picks from last time out. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> that were intended solely to make me look cultured, you know, like uh, Dawn of the Dead and The Breakfast Club. Someone was reading me the list of movies that we picked last time, and I went back, did a double take after after she finished, and said Highlander. Who picked Highlander? <laughs> it wasn't me. Amazing. It's Glenn. <laughs> Glenn is an odd duck. Steve, don't don't make me give you Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> That's the curse. I'm already in the broom closet. I'm already in the B stage. The worst, so the worst doesn't really matter Go which ahead. day. So yeah, I decided I'm just going to choose movies that I really enjoy, which means that I probably don't have much to worry about as far as anybody else sniping my movies. But that said, I do have one movie that other panelists are likely to have on their list. So I'm going to get it out of the way right up front. It is, of course, the classic Jerry Lewis and Clowns movie, Funny Bones. No, uh, you can't pick it. Yeah. What? Oh, yeah, yeah. You already you picked. How could that be? That was a Glenn Fleischman pick, Funny Bones. Oh, <laughs> do, your, no. do your homework. <laughs> Eat it, Lutz. He sniped you in a previous episode. It's going to have to be the day the clown cried instead. That is, that is the... Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. That is, uh, that's bad news. Well, then I'm just going to have to go with the Terminator then. All right. <laughs> uh, which, uh, which is, of course, the true story of how computers will eventually ruin everything. Eventually? Uh, eventually. <laughs> yeah, well... At the time, it was uh, it was prescient. Now it's now it's just kind of obvious. So everybody knows the story. Um, an AI named Skynet becomes self-aware and decides that humans must be eliminated, which is what AIs do. Uh, there's a, a human resistance that forms, and uh, so Skynet sends naked Arnold Schwarzenegger back in time uh, to pick off the mother of the resistance leader before said leader is born. And then uh, the resistance in... Um, in response, sends naked Michael Bien back to protect her. And he says, come with me if you want to live, and then awesomeness ensues. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, like the Terminator, it's, it's action-packed. It's, uh, 
it's very scary at times. In fact, I'd say it qualifies as much a, as a horror movie as it does sci-fi. Um, it's got not one, but two pretty convincing fake endings. Um, they aren't <laughs> drawn out for too long, and uh, I, I hope I didn't just spoil that for anybody. I always get it confused with Short Circuit. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Oh, see, and I always get the robot from Short Circuit uh, confused with the robot from Space Camp. Oh, the Short Circuit robot is more like Wally. It's true. Johnny Five is alive. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a uh, there's the very clever time travel conundrum of uh, John Connor sending back the man who would eventually become his father that I really like. Right. And for better or worse, it uh, it made Arnold Schwarzenegger's career. I think for better. Some would say yeah. for worse, but. Uh, it's the perfect role. Wait, what about Conan the Barbarian? He was great in Conan, but I don't think that uh, that was that big until it Didn't was out on video. Didn't propel him to an icon. He had like seven lines of dialogue in Conan. Right. But he was the star. He had like 12 in the Terminator, so. Yeah, so he's ramping yeah. up. And I don't think that really took off until until it was out on video or out on cable and people started, you know, the word of mouth started getting around. I think maybe five people saw it in the theater. I mean, it's, it's the perfect role for Arnold because he barely has to talk. And when he does, you can kind of rationalize why it sounds so stupid. <laughs> so, uh, a good uh, good vehicle for him. Yeah, I like the I like the um, the look of this movie because you, after after seeing Terminator Two so many times, um, it's charming to go back and see a movie that's definitely got a lower budget and it's darker. Everything's a little a little more kind of organic. It is more horror movie ish. And did then, a lot with that budget too. Of course, I mean, Linda Hamilton a... looks totally different and, and she's just this, way bigger yeah she's got the big hair and she's just this kind of cute girl running around who gets mixed up in time travel adventures with right. killer robots she's not and, all sinewy and tough yeah exactly 100 percent more uh bill paxton as as a like a punk in that first scene that's right with Arnold very briefly yeah what impressed me the most about this movie is that norm if, if, a, if a time travel movie doesn't work for me all I'm thinking about is, yeah, but none of this matters because they can just send another robot back in time before the time when this robot is, is like the, that Star Trek movie. Uh, the, the first uh, Star Trek, the first, uh, I think it was Star Trek yeah. Generations, was it? Yeah. And it's like, okay, so you, you defeated the Borg, uh, but that doesn't matter because the Borg are still able to detect that, oh, well, that time travel thing didn't work. But the fact that like at no point was I even thinking that the Terminator means that, oh, good movie. Yeah. <laughs> it is a good movie. Yeah. All right. So, uh, nice some, try, some, Steve. You actually picked some, a good movie. I know. I'm sorry. This it won't happen again. I promise. <laughs> All right. Hey, there's some uh, some kooky trivia too. Oh yeah. Since everybody already knows the Terminator, I don't have to talk endlessly about it. So I can tell you <laughs> that apparently uh, the studio suggested O.J. Simpson for the role of the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. That would have been a very but different movie. James, James Cameron nixed it because he didn't think that uh, O.J. would be believable as a killer. So he nixed the idea. Uh. <laughs> and uh, apparently Sting was considered for the Kyle Reese role. I will time. kill him. I will kill him. <laughs> That's right. So uh, He'll yeah, do it, but it'll stuff. take six hours. I know. And, of course, uh, Harlan Ellison eventually sued Cameron, yes. saying that uh, Cameron's script ripped off an Outer Limits episode that he wrote. Which it does. Soldier. Yeah. The studio settled. I guess Cameron was not too pleased by it. And uh, so now he says that uh, Harlan Ellison is a parasite who can kiss my ass, mm. I believe, is the exact quote. Interesting. From James Cameron. So, Wait, you're saying somebody doesn't like Harlan Ellison? Yeah, it's <laughs> shocking, isn't it? Go on a limb, well, Cameron. Harlan, Harlan Ellison is not someone who sues people without good reason. Yeah. Yeah, so. he enjoys it, 
And he sues a lot of people, but <laughs> oh right, that was the, the opposite of what I, I, I love the credit. That is, that is a I love the credit in, in, the, so. in the video where it basically is uh, acknowledgement to the works of Harlan Ellison. <laughs> it's like the most <laughs> acknowledging. Uh, yeah. All right, it's time for our first sponsor. It is Hulu Plus. Now I'm sure you've tried Hulu.com, but I want to tell you today about Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus lets you watch thousands of hit shows anytime, anywhere. You can stream it to your TV. Or on the go with your smartphone or tablet. Why waste time sitting on the bus, staring out into space, when uh, you could be watching your favorite shows on Hulu Plus? Hulu Plus is a great way to binge watch on shows that you love. It's got tons of episodes of great shows. Uh, I wanted to give you an example. Community, one of my favorite modern shows. Every single episode of Community, all of the seasons are on Hulu Plus. You can watch them all. And when Community does come back on the air, I believe the day after it airs on NBC... It'll be on Hulu Plus, too. But you can go back, relive all those wonderful episodes of Community. And if you haven't seen Community yet, you really should. It's a really great sitcom that people who listen to The Incomparable, I think, will really love. Also, the first round draft pick in last year's movie draft, Wings of Desire, the German film by Wim Wenders that Glenn so famously picked as his first pick in the incomparable movie draft that's part of the criterion collection and the criterion collection movies they're on hulu plus and you can watch them hulu plus 7.99 a month that's 7.99 for all the shows and movies you can watch get caught up on current shows binge on an old favorite catch a great movie do it all at hulu plus and right now you can try hulu plus for a couple of weeks absolutely free on us when you go to huluplus.com slash snell that's my last name huluplus.com slash snell or go to the show page at 5x5.tv slash incomparable slash 158 and click on the Hulu Plus link. Now make sure you use huluplus.com slash snell so you get that extended free trial and so that Hulu Plus knows that we sent you. It helps us here at The Incomparable and it does give you a better deal. So one more time, extended free trial of Hulu Plus at huluplus.com slash snell and thanks to Hulu Plus for sponsoring The Incomparable. All right, Monty, it's your turn. Well, I'm assuming that I'm going to be banished to some distant stage, possibly one of the last remaining drive-ins. <laughs> or Monday. In the... Or, okay. Well, I'm assuming it's a drive-in anyway, okay. even if it is on Monday. So that's why my first movie is Kill and Kill Again, an nice. excellent South African kung fu epic from 1981. I don't even know why I try anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is great, you try? I'm telling you. <laughs> No, that's that's to explain. All right. It's one of my favorite movies. This is absolutely true. It's sort of a sequel to a movie called Killer Be Killed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that tracks. <laughs> so you, they had a movie called uh, Killer Be Killed, and it had a Nazi dwarf in it, and it was kind of weird. Then they made another huh. movie called Kill and Kill Again. Two kill, two same killed. Lead actor, same lead actor. With a slightly different character. I think he's Steve Hunt in the first movie and Steve Chase in the second movie. <laughs> it's an alias. <laughs> now, the plot of this movie is pretty standard. It's the same as Enter the Dragon or Jim Cotta or any number of other movies where the hero has to infiltrate a country and enter a karate tournament. <laughs> right. Well, that's <laughs> like what separates do. it from I, Rambo. Yeah. I'm really, really excited that you used Enter the Dragon and Jim Cotta in the same sentence. <laughs> and I There's a lot be. of similarities. But first, he has to gather his team... And his team consists of a guy named Gorilla, who's a huge black guy, a, a guy named Gypsy Sensitive. Billy, who okay. lives in a trailer park. Wow. 
a guy named Hot Dog, who's kind of an out of shape guy with a shirt that says Hot Dog on it. <laughs> <laughs> the budget was not high enough to get an actual hot dog. When we first meet Hot Dog, he's playing a kind of Russian roulette game with a bunch of dumb guys in a warehouse where he loads a pistol and flings it into the air, and then when it lands, the bullet shoots in random directions. <laughs> Later in the movie, there will be like three different bar fights where Hot Dog will sidle up to an angry guy, take the guy's cigar out of his mouth, dip the lit end into a glass of whiskey, suck the whiskey off, hand it back to the guy and say, Hot Dog. And it makes no sense. (laughs) And the final member of the team is the fly who kicks everybody and is so powerful with his feet that he has such control over the muscles of his feet that he can just stand still and slide sideways <laughs> that's a good power but here's the key here's the key question for the sliding guy did they use stop motion to do that effect in the movie no it looks like because the camera only goes up to about his knees <laughs> it oh, looks like they're just dragging dolly? him along sideways <laughs> follow-up question is he jamiroquai he is not he's a guy named okay. stan schmidt well, I'm stumped. So the movie's great. It makes no sense. It has paratrooping ninjas, and it ends with Steve Chase having to fight a giant dude with a mustache named the Optimus. His mustache is named the Optimus? He fought somebody using a mustache as a weapon? <laughs> Holy cow! That's the greatest martial arts movie ever. It is a great movie, and has some of the worst fake beards you will ever see. <laughs> Kill and Kill Again, South Africa's finest movie of 1981. South Africa's only movie of 1981. You will not regret it. I gotta, I gotta take that one off my list now. Thanks, Blood Diamonds. Cross. Blood Diamonds. Huh? That's, that's all why I'm I led with it. Obviously, uh, clearly, good. That's a value pick in the first round. Uh, John Syracuse, it's your turn. The Godfather Part One and Two not available. I'm beginning to question my participation in this, uh, <laughs> this film festival. <laughs> I'm also beginning to question, like, when I was making this list, I couldn't remember what movies we picked last time. I know you sent us the list, and I said, surely someone has picked this movie. In fact, I think I picked this movie, so I kept obsessively searching for it. Maybe I made a typo. Maybe you made a typo. Uh, but I don't think it was picked. Maybe maybe I've just talked about it before. But anyway, my first selection, which I swear I've said all these same things about before, uh, but you'll tell me if that's the case, is my favorite Steven Soderbergh movie. Does anyone know what it is yet? Have I talked about it before? Is it out of sight? It's out of sight. Because that was right. going to be my first round pick. So you did snipe <laughs> me right there. Oh, there There's going to be my oh. second round. We are into the quality movie portion of the... <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, so this is my favorite Steven Soderbergh movie. Uh, and I believe last time I talked about it, I referred to this movie as Peak Clooney. And I think it is Peak Clooney. Uh, a particular kind of Clooney, anyway. Yes. Uh, this, this is the rare crime caper movie that also has like big laughs but it doesn't pull its punches on the violence either. Uh, mm. And a lot of movies that are like that have sort of, you know, black humor or kind of black comedies. This one somehow manages to be like lighthearted, good-natured humor and terrible, terrible violence, both in the same movie and not conflicting. I don't, I, I've never seen a movie like this in terms of the mixture of elements and that works as well as this does. Uh, this movie is probably also peak J-Lo. I'm, not that I've seen a lot of Jennifer Lopez yeah. movies, but she's excellent it's in this movie. Everything that she's asked to do, she does well. Uh, and the, one of the scenes that stands out with me, one of the J-Lo scenes, for, for obvious reasons, but also non-obvious reasons, is the, the hotel romance scene between her and George Clooney. Uh, romance scenes in movies, especially movies like this, tend to be kind of like either raunchy or like cringe-inducing, where you watch them and you feel bad for the actors, you feel embarrassed for the actors. 
And for whatever reason, this scene, I mean, maybe it's it's the way it's shot. Maybe it's the music. Maybe it's the actors. Maybe it's everything leading up to it. Uh, I don't feel embarrassed for the actors. It, it's actually a romance scene that, that, that is memorable. Like, if you think of, you know, what are memorable scenes from a movie? You remember action scenes or you remember, like, a good line from a comedy or something? I remember this romance scene. It's not very long. It's not graphic. Uh, I just think it's one of the best done scene of that type that I've seen. And instead of instead of feeling bad for them, you kind of wish you were there. And I think that is a very rare thing for uh, for romance scenes in the movie. So out of sight. If you haven't seen it, if you haven't heard of it, if you like George Clooney and crime stuff like Ocean's Eleven or whatever, uh, check it out. Best Steven Soderbergh movie ever. Yeah, I think you might oh, be yeah. right. And uh, great, movie. great movie. Looks great. Um, the tone is fantastic. This is again an Elmore lettered. This is uh, uh, J Lo is playing Karen Cisco, right? Who's then Carla mm-hmm. Gugino played in the TV short lived excellent TV series of the same name. Um, and uh, that scene in the uh, trunk of the car, man, Whew. great stuff. They kind of they kind of almost had her reprise that role on Justified, which is also an Elmore Leonard based yeah, yep. show, which was kind of a nice touch. Well, she's she's Karen, but she has they, they've excused it as it's her married last name, right? Because yeah. they can't officially use Karen Cisco. Yeah, because ABC right yeah. ran it ran it into the ground. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad, John. That's a great pick, and it was I'm not kidding. Actually, on my list, um, and I have to take it off now. So damn you. Yep, that was my number two. Yeah, Dan, it's your turn. Hey, my turn. Great. Um, well, I was trying to think of what would sort of tie these movies together. And I think the only thing I've really got is they're movies that I like so much that I feel like, you know, if I meet someone and they're like, Oh, you know, I've never seen that movie. I'm like, we have to sit down and watch this movie now. Um, and so my first pick in that regard is I think a very topical movie, interestingly enough, even though it is over 20 years old now. Um, and that is the 1992 film sneakers with nice. Robert Redford, Sidney mm-hmm. Poitier, uh, Timothy Busfield, Dan Aykroyd, great cast. Um, and it's a fantastic movie. I I love the sort of techno thrillers, but I love the spin on this particular one, which is though it's set in 1992, it's about kind of at that point aging Robert Redford and in the first scene of the movie where they're basically, it's this company is hired to break into other companies and test their security. There's a scene where Robert Redford tries to jump over like a bank counter and falls <laughs> off of it, in, in, which is just like pretty much just sets up the movie right there. It's like these guys are not very slick or anything like that. Like they're really smart and they know their stuff, but, you know, they're not action heroes. And it's one of those movies that actually does really work in terms of being cerebral and clever. And there's not a lot of like action in it. Um, but it's but it's still a very engaging and entertaining movie to watch. And to me, it's one of, you know, it's a super quotable movie too, right? You know, I think there's, you know, even even people who probably don't even, haven't seen this movie might have heard of like SeaTac Astronomy C-Tech or Astronomy. Too, many se- too Many Secrets, <laughs> my right? Like that's is my, my passport. passport. Verify, Verify me. me. <laughs> um, but there's just so many other, I mean, I, my personal favorite character in the movie, I think, is probably Whistler. Um, who is who is blind, but is really really good um, at like sort of picking out audio stuff, and like he's got this whole like setup where he can remix stuff. And in one notable scene, re- figures out the the path Robert Redford character character was like kidnapped and taken down based on like the seams and the concrete of the bridge that he goes across. Um, which is just it's super clever. Like, and you don't see like that kind of thought go into most movies. I feel like. 
um, and because it deals with encryption and the NSA, um, which is yep. you know just a topic on everybody's mind these days. But there's, in, to my mind, there's nobody in this movie who is out of place. Like the cast is excellent. Um, it's really well written. It's funny, but it's also got its sort of darker moments. I love. I will say the one thing which I love, although I admit it's also terrible, is Ben Kingsley as the sort of villain. His his new <laughs> his New Jersey accent is kind of hilarious. <laughs> to my mind, I always always hear my Marty. This would be a disaster. <laughs> terrible, terrible, but still fun. And I just, you know, um, you've even got like the underlings played by Timothy Busfield and Eddie Jones, who are mm-hmm. kind of jerks and punch Robert Redford a bunch of times in the face. There's a great scene where a climactic scene in the movie where Robert Redford has to go across a room but can't move very fast because of the motion sensors, which is so great. And like the tension in that is so well done. It doesn't need to be like this huge long chase. You're just like watching him. Like there's one that some of the guys tells him in like his little earpiece, like you better hurry up. And he's like, I'm going as fast as I can. (laughs) Um, and I, you know, it's one of those movies that in my head, I just, I quote, you know, like all the time things come up that, you know, uh, it's one of my favorite, favorite movies. Um, and, if you haven't, if any of you haven't seen it, you're dead to me. I, I, I love this. I Wonderful. love this movie. I, I think the greatest thing about it is that it's one of the few movies that seems to get like hacking and hacker culture yeah. correct. Like to break into the system, it's it's not scruffy guy. Give me hot pockets and eight cases of Red Bull. <laughs> We're gonna start to dance behind this keyboard. It's like. No, we have to. Tr- we, there, there's a voice password. We have to trick this guy into giving into recording his voice. Right, it's the it, social it, social engineering. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that comes across, and you know that's that's a big part of it too. This movie is one of the movies I remember when I've seen a movie, and I at the end of it I say to myself, or to the, all those around me in the theater, I shout it at the screen and wave my fist around. <laughs> Why aren't there more movies like this? Right? Why aren't there yeah. more movies like this? And this, yes, yeah. sneakers has got. It's kind of like some of the seventies. Yeah, techno thrillers like, like a three days, three of days the of the Condor. Exactly. Yeah. Another Redford. Another, Another Redford. One. Well, I think and, that's that's the direct link, right? And mm-hmm. and, and there also, there's also a direct link because he is also driving the same Carmen Ghia. Uh, Robert Redford, as he drove, his characters drove in uh, three days, three days the Condor, right. mm-hmm. and and wearing the same baseball jacket he wore in the Natural. So he was like saving uh, money on budget. I sure, think. I think so. Well, Redford <laughs> well, you likes... can almost kind of you can almost kind of justify like I don't know it's one of those movies that kind of feels like an unofficial sequel in some ways. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. But it's it's uh and actually out of sight, I had the same thing, which is like more movies like this, please. Uh, you know, that's that's a good sign when you're like, why aren't there more like this? This seems like do more like this. This is a good one. Also, Robert Redford scene with um, how do you break a key uh, keypad combination lock on a door is just a thing of a thing of beauty. Yeah, Sneakers is one of those movies that does technology and it it acknowledges that they're going to have to have some fake bogus crazy technology thing like as their MacGuffin type thing. But the but theory works. Still, but but still never manages like it doesn't annoy tech nerds basically. Like that's that's a difficult thing. Can you make a movie about technology that doesn't drive people who are knowledgeable in the field up a wall? And one way to do it is just get every single thing right and be realistic. But that's not what this movie does. This movie gets to be a fun, interesting movie and doesn't annoy with the uh, the fake technology. Right. Well, because they don't go too much into the details. They give you sort of the broad strokes of something that is theoretically possible. Right. Um, which is that all encryption is really based on the same idea. 
And if right. you could figure out a way to exploit that idea, you could, you know, figure out a way to break all the encryption. But at the same time, you don't really go into the nitty gritty of right. how that it, works. They don't start because scriptwriters today feel the need to go to the Internet and type a word into the into a search box and get like synonyms. And they just start throwing words in there. I mean, remember when they discovered the word firewall? It was all downhill after that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dan, that's a great pick. And uh, it's my turn to finish out the first round. Yes. We've only done the first round because we are terrible people. I'm going to go... Actually, David uh, said something that I thought was really interesting about um, uh, one of my favorite writers and a movie based on one of his novels, Wonder Boys. Uh, One of my other favorite writers is Nick Hornby. And I have a huge amount of affection for the 2000 adaptation of his novel, High Fidelity, starring John Cusack. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to pick it for my first round selection. Uh, Directed by Stephen Frears... I was so skeptical of a film adaptation of the book High Fidelity. I love that book. Uh, I think it is a a wonderful encapsulation of uh, a lot of things about what it means to be an incredibly shallow um, 20-something man. Um, And I always thought that it was a very interesting... Uh, interesting narrator this guy who's sort of trying to real sort of realizing that he needs to move on with his life and grow up and yet at the same time cannot get out of his his uh obsessions and bad habits and bad behavior uh there's a lot of music in the book um lots of lists of songs and references to pop music and uh also i felt it was a really very a very english book uh lots of uh soccer references because nick hornby is a huge soccer fan and uh, I thought there was no way that they could translate this into a movie set in Chicago starring John Cusack. And you know what? I love it. I love John Cusack in it. Mm-hmm. I, he plays he – is, he is likable in all the ways you need him to be likable and yet is also unlikable in all the ways that he, that character needs to be unlikable and make bad decisions and be uh, more interested in himself than anybody else. Uh, Jack Black gives a really good performance, I would say, other than um, – uh, School of Rock, perhaps. I think it's it's maybe his best. He he uh, is a, an incredibly obnoxious, awful record store clerk, and is perfect doing <laughs> well, that's that. That's a stretch. Uh, it's it's Being perfect. Surprised that he could sing. Perfect. But then he yes, he sings at the end in a and, wonderful and they scene. They save that for the end, and you're thinking that he's going to be awful, and then suddenly everyone goes, "Oh, it's Barry Jive awesome. and, uh, and the Uptown Five yeah. um, instead of Kathleen Turner yeah, Overdrive. Overdrive. <laughs> uh, great, great stuff there. Um, and they they cast a Danish actress. She's really likable as this uh, as his longtime girlfriend, and uh, you know she leaves. And ends up with Tim Robbins in a fantastically scuzzy, annoying, hateful part. Uh, get your patchouli stink out of my record store. Uh, and and there are some really nice moments in this movie um, where John Cusack actually speaks to the camera and talks about, as he's kind of going through what what the deal is with his life and trying to figure out how he screwed everything up. Um, and including my favorite thing in this movie probably is how he has always imagined his funeral and the songs that are playing, um, you know, a beautiful woman stands up at the front of the of, of the of the chapel and sings, "You were the best thing that ever happened to me." And then he pauses and says, "But who would that woman be?" And he realizes there's not going to be anybody up at his funeral because of the way he's living his life and the way he treats the women in his life. And it's a wonderful moment where that's like he grows up all of a sudden. Um, so I like it a lot. It's funny. It's smart. And it manages to actually properly adapt a novel I love and not screw it up. So high fidelity. Mm. 
There it is. And it's got good music in it, too. They, they did a good job with the music, which is yep. uh, a must in a movie like Excellent that. Excellent use yeah. of the beta band. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh Drive Watch, the Rain. Uh, what a, what a, yeah, what a great song and a great use. I'm about to sell eight copies of this album. Of the three EPs <laughs> the three by the EPs beta band. By the That's beta right. Band. <laughs> he sold more copies than that, as it turns out. <laughs> All of us who have the three EPs Me. by the beta band. No, no. I actually yes. own that already. But uh, Oh, good yeah. for you. Well, I did not. Uh-huh. And then I heard Drive the Rain, and I was like, holy, okay, I'm buying that. <laughs> Don't be that guy. Before we get back to our draft, I want to take a moment and talk about our sponsor. It's HostGator. We love HostGator. It's a premier web hosting and domain name provider. If you're looking to start a website, HostGator can help you get started with monthly hosting plans, one-click installs, and tons of other features that make getting your site up and running easy. If you're a more advanced user or a business, HostGator can take care of you with reseller plans, VPS, and dedicated servers. HostGator guarantees 99.9% uptime, and no matter your size or or needs. If you're a WordPress user, you're going to love the one-click installs and the optimized hosting platform. When you host with HostGator, you get unlimited disk space and bandwidth. It's great. They have free site builder tools that are super easy to use. And if you find yourself needing any help at all, there's 24-7 support to ensure that everything is running smoothly. So head on over to HostGator.com. That's G-A-T-O-R like an alligator, to learn more. And when you decide to buy something, even though I'm not named Dan, Dan is not my name, don't forget to use this coupon code anyway. It's Dan sent me. One word, Dan sent me. Get 30% off everything at HostGator. And thanks to everybody at HostGator for sponsoring The Incomparable. All right, second round, Andy. Uh, it's, not, it's not a snake draft. It's not one of those Yahoo Fantasy Football snake draft things. Uh, so we're just going back up to the Throwing. top. And, I know nothing of this snake draft, being that I am unfamiliar with your sports traditions. Well, in, in, the, incompar- in the incomparable episode six, uh, we did a, a fantasy draft where we all picked our favorite snakes. So oh. you can go back and listen to that one. But that anyway, good. Yeah. I should have gotten in on that. Yeah, I got Diamond back. Andy, you're up. Well, I have to. I had to employ some agility here. Fortunately, I had like a short list of like ten movies to choose from, uh, and given that we're supposed to be programming a day of a film festival, my original the program was going to be uh, was 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 going to be the conversation, three days of the Condor, and then sneakers. Ooh. So basically, oh. a hacker trilogy. Uh, but I have, but since I, ha- I, I, I <laughs> it's okay. The another... net, the net with uh, Dennis Miller is still there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, 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 it could be, it could be a sucky hacker movie trilogy. We could just pick up, yeah, follow, follow the conversation up with Enemy of the State. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. he's, in a, he's in a Faraday cage again. First of all, again, Gene Hackman doing one of those uncredited sequels to that, yep. that is definitely Harry yep. Call under another name. Oh, that, yeah. that is the saving yep. grace yeah. of that movie. Yep. But I did okay. So, but I did find another uh, another w- full day program of three of three movies. I'm I'm, I'm switching to now with uh, my second movie pick, which is the Taking of Pelham One Two Three, uh, which has the has remake, a connection of course, right? To, I'm sorry, the, the the good the good one, the 1974 <laughs> one. <laughs> Crosses um, that off the list. It's uh, it's it has a connection to uh, uh, to the conversation because it's a 1974 movie that is so totally set in New York City, so totally set with location shooting in the city that uh, that that the story takes place in. So I have a sense that this is a much better movie for us watching it today than it would have been in 1974 because it is the story of <laughs> it's a it's a it's a it's a thriller in which people uh some some armed men hijack a subway train which is the 
dumbest thing to hijack because it's sort of you're sort of going forward and backwards. So they can probably they've got a 50-50 chance that the cops are figuring out where you're going with this thing. Uh, so, but that's but that's part of like the the challenge of the film where the the transit cops try to figure out what okay you have clearly you you have like twenty people hostage you have machine guns and you're promising to kill to kill them off if we don't if you don't get us if we don't give you a million dollars in an hour we have no idea how you're planning to get out of here because we're so totally gonna bag your butt but all right to keep you from to to figure out what your next move is sure here's you know we're, we're gonna try to get you the million dollars uh, so. It has two really great features that make it an awesome movie. Number one, it doesn't follow. We've seen so many thrillers of this type that we sort of already know that it goes beat for beat for beat for beat for beat. And maybe there can be two alternatives for a couple of different points in the story, but we pretty much know how this plays out. This does not follow that roadmap at all so you really are feeling as, as you're watching it that this story can go anywhere you don't know what's going to happen and the second part is this is technically like an action thriller in which every person is a doughy middle-aged character actor male character actor walter Matthau is your action hero here <laughs> and this was like the last movie he did because the last uh, movie action movie he did because he had a quintuple bypass surgery like about a week after shooting stopped so you got walter Matthau being walter Matthau throughout this entire movie and it's uh, and not only that, but every single character actor you can name that is like again doughy middle aged white guy from the sevens. Jerry Stiller is a cop, uh, and that and that's pretty much the character of uh, of all of the people in this movie. The and, and the and the last really great thing about it is that I love these stories that are sort of that, that of course are set before the internet, before computing power. And there at some point, Walter Matthau gets this idea that oh well let's well uh, we. We got to figure if if they're doing this, they must have a person with a specific kind of expertise. Call the computer center, get me a list of everybody who matches this like list of qualifications, and it's like, all right, we should have the answer in about nineteen hours because we have to send people with punch cards right. and put tapes onto onto reels and, and stuff like that. So this is this is a movie in which the most important, the only really big piece of technology is a huge Motorola walkie-talkie. Uh, and but it's still a really compelling movie. It's it's one of my favorites. I it's, I, I forget all about it until it turns up on Turner Classic Movies, and they're like, "Oh, tell tell them one two three. I gotta see this. Click. I'm done for the for the rest of the yeah. night." I haven't seen it. I'm gonna put it on my list. I'm gonna go it's see good movie. It. That's right. Thumbs up. I excellent. I like those. I like those good movies. So I'll I'll watch it. David, your turn. All right. Having crossed off out of sight and Pelham one two three. Oh. <laughs> the draft. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Um, <laughs> just talking about, talk about the draft. <laughs> What's the incomparable premise that's getting a little tired and people might be sick of it? <laughs> draft. You're damn right. I can do. <laughs> and we all just go home now. <laughs> Complicated idea, but we really simplify the hell out of it. That's right. Let's not break Jason again. We just got him fixed from the last time. It's not a snake draft. All right, go ahead, David. <laughs> okay. Uh, for my second pick, I'm going to take The Royal Tenenbaums, which is a Wes Anderson film. It was his, uh, I guess it was his follow-up to Rushmore. Yep. And, you know, people talk about Rushmore. They talk about Moonrise Kingdom now, which I also really, really love. Um, but The Royal Tenenbaums just creates a world and it 
sticks to it. And it is this fantasy New York that, you know, they, they, they go to the 375th Street Y, which, <laughs> you know. But it's, it's this wonderful portrait of a family of uh, genius children who fail to live up to their potential. And you have Gene Hackman again. Again. As the patriarch, the near, near-do-well patriarch Royal Tenenbaum. And Angelica Houston as his estranged wife. And Danny Glover as the man who is courting Angelica. Uh, you have Ben Stiller and Gwyneth Paltrow and Owen Wilson and uh, yes. Luke Wilson. All and... the actors who appear in all of Wes Anderson's movies are in yeah. this movie. <laughs> And of course, Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just it just creates such a wonderful world. And again, with all these intertwining stories that all come together and sort of focus on what do you do when you grow up as a prodigy who just didn't make it? And uh, it's, it's it's just a lovely story. All right. I, I, I didn't love, I really like Rushmore and I, Rushmore. I was yeah. sort of let down by Royal Tenenbaums, but that's okay. People love... I find the hate toward Wes Anderson fascinating because he seems his movies mm. seem to do what they say on the tin. And if you don't oh, like yeah. one of his movies, I think you maybe don't like his movies because he does his thing. It's he. It, oh, yeah. They're all of a kind. They're all kind of unrealistic and heightened. And even and the fantastic Mister Fox is so clearly a Wes Anderson. Yeah, film and I like that, that one. Oh a lot. yeah, he's obviously doing whatever he's doing on purpose. This is yes, it's not an accident. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's really neat because fantastic Mister Fox is an actual children's book and Royal Tenenbaums has the feel of a children's book. You know, it has that sort of fantasy world that it builds. And you know, my kids love fantastic Mr. Fox and they've started watching the other ones. They've, I haven't seen they've... Moonrise Kingdom, but my wife saw it and she said it was actually very good too. So yeah, I, like, I like yeah, that a lot. Yeah. I yeah. still think Rushmore is, is his best, but I liked Moonrise Kingdom a lot. Yeah. Moonrise is, is maybe his most mature. Oddly enough. Yeah. Ironically. Cause it's about children. And Moonrise brings him closer to his ultimate career goal, which is to create a film in which you can cut the negative down the middle and distribute the two halves and then just duplicate the halves and the movie will be exactly the same. <laughs> he's very he's getting very close. I haven't seen Moonrise yes. Kingdom yet. That's a little bit like saying I haven't seen Evil Dead Two yet. Does that mean you will see it eventually? Sorry, I'm doing high fidelity again. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh Steve, it's your turn. Yay! Yay. I'm gonna take nineteen eighty two's poltergeist. Oh, nice. We need a horror film in here. It's the uh, it's the Steven Spielberg horror movie that's not about sharks. Produced and written by Spielberg, <laughs> um, possibly directed by Toby Hooper, probably mostly by Spielberg. There's some controversy that about Spielberg. that. Let's, let's just say there are a lot of wide-eyed reaction shots, <laughs> which, of course, to- Toby Hooper is very well known for. <laughs> uh, it's in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, when I first when I first saw Poltergeist, I thought it was probably the scariest movie I'd ever seen. Although some of that is probably down to the way I first saw it. I was, I would say, about 11 or 12 years old, uh, alone in my parents' house. They were out for the evening. Every sliding door in the house was open because it had been a hot day. Every light but the one in the living room was off. <laughs> uh, yeah, my parents' house was kind of long. <laughs> one so of your was neighbors a... was, was, uh, had gotten a side of beef and was, had a big knife and was chopping it up into little pieces. <laughs> yeah, you know, you the trees. It was the trees outside the windows, right? Kind of against the glass. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Redland, you know, it was the I lived in a house that was kind of freaky anyway. I just, Redlands in general is sort of semi well known for having a lot of uh, ghostly activity. In fact, they actually mention it in this movie, um, which uh, kind of 
yeah. scared me a little bit too. <laughs> I would think. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think uh, I think why it's so effective is because it it hits on nearly every childhood fear. You know, you've got the the spooky tree outside, the the creepy ass clown doll, which. As far as I'm concerned, is a reason for CPS to get involved. Who would buy that for their children? Who puts that in their child's room and expects them to to have a normal life? <laughs> you got the monster in the closet. Um, you got the great nightmare scenario where Joe Beth Williams is trapped in the muddy pool with a bunch of bobbing, grinning skeletons, and then she nearly claws her way out and then slips and slides right back into the pool. Um, so it's just it's really effective at kind of hitting the primal fears that you had when you were ten years old or eight years old, and since I was about ten or eleven when I was watching it, it did a pretty good job on me. Um, but I rewatched this last night for the first time in quite a while, and while I think it's still pretty effective on that sort of childhood fear level, now that I'm a parent, it's taken on this whole different flavor because, <laughs> in addition to all those childish fears, I now see a, a heaping helping of the very adult fear of losing a child. And, uh, you know, when Carol Ann sort of disappears into the house, it's a really well-acted movie. I, both Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams do a superb job of really kind of putting out that their child is gone and they don't know where and they can hear her coming from the TV uh, and they have no idea what to do. Um, you know, you, you get this, uh, this shot of Craig T. Nelson after some time has passed after she's been sucked into the closet and he just looks like absolute hell. He clearly hasn't slept in weeks. But he and the family are kind of holding it together just out of sheer love for each other and trying to make sure the other kids don't lose it. Um, and it's really, it's why the sequel, I think, was so disappointing because that film kind of turned the whole family into a bunch of a-holes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's good on a lot of levels and uh, very well paced, very well directed. There's a terrifically haunting main theme that Jerry Goldsmith did that uh, sticks in your head and... Oscar-nominated Hangs around theme, for a while. I believe. Is that right? I think so. All right. This movie messed me up so much when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, it's good <laughs> so stuff. much. And like, and you came out of it though. Like, you like horror movies now, right? This movie yeah. terrified for most of my childhood. Terrified me and made me never want to see horror movies. I don't have affection for this movie. I actually kind of hate it because it it terrorized me. Yeah. I saw. It I had ex- actually well. already seen my fair share of worse horror movies by this point. I mean, in terms of just being more disturbing. So. Yeah, but no movie I ever see will be as scary as Poltergeist to me, was to me when I saw it. Yeah, I still think mm. it's up there in probably my top five of genuinely scary horror movies. So it's good stuff. All right. That's a good pick. And of course, I, I look to you to provide us with some horror, so I'm glad you did. I do what I can. And also a horror movie. <laughs> now, uh, now clear your mind, Jason. It, it knows what scares you. Mm. Monty, it's your turn. Let me tell you about Miami Connection. <laughs> <laughs> this is a movie made in 1987 by a Taekwondo instructor. In Sudan? <laughs> I'm listening. It's the story of a rock band composed exclusively of orphans that all know Taekwondo. And they are fighting a group of ninjas that ride around on motorcycles selling cocaine. Now, it does not take place in Miami, although it's called Miami Connection. It's actually in Orlando at the Central Florida University most of the time. Nobody knows why it's called Miami Connection. My guess is it's supposed to be a play on the French connection with the cocaine. There's six people in this band. Two of them were hired because they could act. Two of them were hired because they could do Taekwondo. And two of them were hired because they could look remotely plausible holding musical instruments. The problem is that all six of them then have to do all three of those things. 
So when there being a band singing great songs like Against the Ninja, only two of them look like they've ever seen a guitar before. And then when they're acting, only two of them seem like they've ever spoken before. This movie was rediscovered, I think, two years ago by the Draft House people in Austin. And it is crazy they they bought apparently they bought it on ebay and then restored it because it became, yeah yeah why why do i know this movie because you're mentioning it and now i'm seeing scenes of it in my head and i'm afraid i might have seen it <laughs> no <laughs> you might have seen it in 1987 then it vanished but the people who run the alamo draft house in austin just buy all the film cans they can get on ebay and then they show them to people in austin to an unsuspecting public just blind like Here's what we got in this can. Bam. <laughs> so isn't That's it, a isn't terrifying like 50, idea. 50% porn then, though? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Probably. That's I what mean, you're thinking this, all the time. I'm always thinking 50% porn. You're right. This movie has about 10 minutes of random toplessness because to fill out the runtime, they, they went to a biker rally and just got some footage of a bunch of topless women. And it has wow. nothing to do with the movie and probably, well, it might have happened in Florida. Nobody can tell. So what's plot? What happens? What's the plot? Okay, so you've got this rock band, the Orphans Who Know Taekwondo, right? And another band is angry that this band took their spot at what is apparently the only nightclub in Orlando. <laughs> so the band goes to the cocaine-selling motorcycle ninjas, who are also run by the brother of somebody in this band, and they say, "You got to get this band out of the way." So then there are a bunch of fights with shockingly violent special effects. A river literally runs red with blood at one point. That's pretty much the whole plot. All right. I think I'm done with that part. (laughs) Solid. I'm glad we have at least one person here who's taking this seriously. Yeah. Listen, I don't think the world needs you guys to tell them, did you know there's a movie called The Terminator? Fair enough. (laughs) If one person... goes out and sees Miami Connection, which somehow has a DVD release, I will have lived an honorable life. All right. Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. That's a lot to to hinge it upon, Monty. (laughs) Monty, the the Alamo Draft House is trying to sell beer and popcorn. What's your excuse for promoting this movie? This movie is amazing. It's one of the most (laughs) fun, exciting cinematic experiences I have ever had. Okay, so, so, so... so you're telling somebody you're you have access to the entire film library that's available online for sale. You can buy either the third man or this movie. You should not buy the third man. You should definitely go for this you one. Rent it. Rent this. I don't know. It, okay, you can it rent sounds the like third a, man. It sounds like a Stefan to me. This movie has everything. <laughs> you have an entire internet telling you you should watch the third man. Screw those guys. But more people need to tell you about Miami Connection. Okay. All right. Miami Connection is a unique movie. It's made by somebody who doesn't really know what goes into movies. And 99% (laughs) of the time, that comes out as unwatchable, horrible dreck. And 1% of the time, it's amazing outsider art. And that's what happened here. All right. This may be the film this time that I go and watch and, and review. Yeah, I may actually need, later need to need to see this. <laughs> this. This sounds like the sort of movie where like one of the questions they ask every audition, every actor in the audition is, "Do you or anybody or any of your friends own a van <laughs> or mm-hmm. a motorcycle? Right. Are you a ninja or film equipment?" That's entirely possible. All the scenes <laughs> on the campus, they're all wearing shirts that advertise what campus they're on. Sure, so there's a chance they got some funding there. College, yep, college. 
<laughs> All right, Monty, that's that's great. Um, that's hilarious. Actually, I'm I'm gonna look up Miami Connection. John Syracuse, it's your turn. Uh, this movie is uh, from 1979, so it's for old people or people who are kids in 1979. Uh, it's called Breaking Away, which I hope everybody has nice. seen, but maybe ah, yeah. the youngsters here, Dan Morin, have not seen this movie. And I should. Uh, it, I've seen the TV series. No. I would describe it as a... Uh... Sean Cassidy's in it. It's great. Sean Cassidy. Come on. Rorschach in a supporting role, for God's sakes. Yeah, so That's I, all you need to know. I would say this movie is a it's a coming-of-age movie that made other coming-of-age movies seem like they were lying to you, at least to like a <laughs> seven-year-old mm-hmm. me or something. Uh, uh, the cast is pretty good. Like It's got Dennis Quaid, uh, Daniel Stern, uh, Jackie Earl Haley, and a bunch of other people whose names I don't know. Uh, the, who's the, the father guy? Paul Dooley. Uh, yeah, he's he's in a lot of things. He's great in this. He played Wimpy in Popeye. <laughs> That's not what he's best known for, probably. Uh, <laughs> and it, the whole movie features like like any kind of coming age movie, uh, coming age movie for boys. I would say it, it features older kids. They're supposed to be older than the kids who are watching it, uh, slightly older, doing dangerous things that kids might conceivably do. Like they they drink alcohol, they get into fights, they chase girls, they ride bicycles behind semi trucks. You know, like they always throw in the one extra one in there that's outside the realm of reason. But when you're watching it as like a seven or eight year old, you know, I was just completely wrapped and fascinated by this. And I think like later movies like The Breakfast Club owe a little bit to this movie in terms of the way it starts you off with a bunch of stereotype characters where you've got the, uh, you know, the slacker guy, the the nerdy, you know, the geek, basically, who's into bicycling uh, and the quarterback from the football team. And over the course of the movie, breaks them all down to show you that there's actually real people inside those stereotypes and uh it, you know, it's not a John Hughes movie. I think it's more raw, more kind of 70-ish than, than a John Hughes movie. Uh, and it holds a special place in my heart, again, probably because of the age that I saw it at. So if you if you have children who are maybe a seven, eight, nine-year-old boy, uh, secretly get them to watch this movie, and I think it will still work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can say living in Indiana, it nails Indiana. Um, and it's fun to watch because my wife went to Indiana University for graduate school and they shot the whole thing up here. So it's fun to kind of see it 20 years before I was there. You go, hey, there's the Union. They didn't used to have that there. Oh, wow. If only the, everybody in the movie was wearing shirts with the name of the university on it. And <laughs> there, I would like to see the Miami Connection Breaking Away mashup. That would be something. And a guy wearing a T-shirt that says hot dog. And hot dog. <laughs> that should sure. be in every movie. Sure. Oh, yeah. All right. Except hot dog the movie, ironically. <laughs> They didn't have the budget for it. Breaking away. Good. Uh, excellent pick, John. Dan, it's your turn. Uh, well, I'm back with another favorite of mine. Um, a, a movie that is loosely based on a Sherlock Holmes story, actually. And that is Jake Kasdan's Zero Effect, uh, um, uh. which is an excellent movie from 1998 um, that I've seen more times than I can remember. That basically involves the story of a reclusive private eye, um, his one friend. And in a very strange move, his uh, it's um, Ben Stiller plays his assistant, the straight man in the movie, <laughs> which is unusual for Ben Stiller um, and is the polar opposite of what I think is Stiller's other best performance aside from this movie, which is Zoolander, in which he plays totally not a straight man. <laughs> um, but Zero Effect is very, very good. It's It's one of those lovely little like cult movies that is small in its aspiration and its setting it takes place in portland oregon i believe um and is just very it's a very tight 
well-plotted and not ostentatious movie about this detective who is hired to essentially deal with a a, um, a blackmailer. And it's uh, Bill Pullman plays the detective who's kind of socially inept um, and misanthropic. And um, he essentially gets hired by Ryan O'Neill, who plays a, a businessman, um, to figure out who's blackmailing him. And it has a couple twists and turns along the way and some lovely character work by Bill Pullman as this shy, totally out-of-it detective. Um, and it's just, it's just a delightful, very little movie. You know, it's not all about huge set pieces or what have you. It's really just focused on this character drama between these these few characters um but it's also amazingly funny at times um my favorite bit from the film has to do with he's writing his sort of his memoirs uh you know about the art of detection and he has this bit on finding things and it's when you go looking for something specific your chances of finding it are very bad because of all the things in the world you're only looking for one of them but when you go looking for anything at all, your chances of finding it are very good because of all the things in the world, you're sure to find some of them, <laughs> which I always think is a great, it's like when, um, when you're, yeah, it's looking for your keys. Um, so anyways, it's a great movie. Um, a lot of fun, small little, it was totally, I think underrated, um, when it came out, but I feel like it's a, it's developed a nice cult following. So if you haven't seen it, it's well worth it. All right. That's good. Zero Effect. They they did a TV pilot, but they didn't they make did. it. They did. Didn't make yeah. it. Sadly. All right. I am up, and I'm going to go with um, another movie beginning with Z. So thank you, Dan. Sure. It's, it's from a... Uh, Oz? A little... Zardoz. Yeah, Zardoz. It's not Zardoz. <laughs> a little, a little <laughs> known... Zombieland. A little known uh, uh, director, uh, writer-director made this movie in 1983, uh it's zelig by woody uh, allen uh i nice. i love zelig it's my favorite woody allen movie and i like woody mm. allen i like a lot of his movies um i could i, I mean there there are lots of them that i love actually but not love actually because richard curtis made that <laughs> zelig is different in the sense that zelig i mean woody allen for for a guy who sometimes gives the impression that he makes the same movie over and over again, he actually makes some radically different movies. He has lots of kind of magical realism and strange scenarios and almost sci-fi elements in a lot of his movies or fantasy elements. Zelig is a little bit of that, but it's also told in a mockumentary style, which is interesting. There are special effects that they had to do in order to um, you know, before Forrest Gump was made, there was Zelig where where there was archival footage that was integrated with uh, very cleverly with stuff from the actual uh, the, the actors in the actual movie, and it's telling the story of a man named Leonard Zelig, who's played by Woody Allen, and he is a, a a nondescript nobody, but he really wants to fit in, and he has this amazing power to take on the characteristics of whoever is around with him. He is the human chameleon. And there are, uh, because it's in this documentary and this is all happening in the 20s, there are um, all of these interviews with uh, with famous people 
that are in color that are in the present day and then there's this black and white archival footage and it is a it is in many ways a silly kind of ridiculous movie but um it's got an interesting uh subject which is uh somebody who just desperately wants to fit in and will do anything he can to fit in uh it's funny mia farrow is good as the psychiatrist who falls in love with the changing man uh lots of great gags and uh and you know a really good use of the mockumentary format and then also there's some some great kind of old songs as well as some fake old songs like the songs like do the chameleon and uh and some great man in the street interviews uh in the old black and white style i remember the guy in this movie who says i would like to be like leon zelrig the changing man <laughs> it's like oh, oh. <laughs> he didn't even get his name all right fine whatever it's a great yeah i like it a lot it's my favorite woody allen movie so zelig they, they even got may ketzel i think to sing the uh, the chameleon song mm-hmm. the, 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 vo- the voice of betty boop who was still around there she was and alive what's, then what's, yeah she, wow. she was also in his uh, new york stories vignette yeah oh the, great, and the greatest thing about this movie, though, is that this was pre-digital, so everything had to be yeah. to, to put to put Woody Allen in the background during an Adolf Hitler speech. How the hell do you do that? But it's perfect. You could not do better today than you than he did in the early eighties. Yes, and I remember I remember uh, reading in, in an effects magazine about how it really was all about having that kind of knowledge about well here's the sort of camera they would have used to shoot that in 19 1939 so we got to mm-hmm. have something with the exact same properties the exact same film stock but oh yeah it, it, you will you would totally believe this is a documentary nothing it's it's funny but nothing gives it away yep. there's nothing there's no point at which they they go for the really cheap easy gag because it's it, the, the gag is right there because they know that no 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 the reality we've set up prohibits us from doing a joke like that yeah perfect stuff all right, that's two rounds of the incomparable movie draft in the books. Only three more rounds to go, and you'll get those three rounds in our next episode. But for now, for everybody here at the Incomparable, I'd like to thank Andy Anako, David Lore, Steve Lutz, Monty Ashley, John Syracuse, and Warren. I'm Jason Snell, your host. We'll see you next time. Thank you.